commence primary ignition. You will find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. You must unlearn what you have learned. I'm looking forward to completing your training. Welcome to Coruscant Community College, a new podcast that focuses on studying Star Wars as text. I'm Craig Dickinson. And I'm Matt Leader. Today on the show, we'll continue sharing the methods we've developed to lead students through a critical study of film. In this episode, we'll be doing an overview of performance. So like cinematography and sound that we've already covered, performance can also be broken down into three sub-aspects. And the first one we want to talk about today is dialogue. And first off, I want to mention that there is inner dialogue, which is essentially where a character is just speaking to themselves and revealing their personalities. And more common than that, the one we usually think of when we think of dialogue is an outer dialogue, which is just a conversation between any two characters, maybe more than two characters, and it's used in almost all types of fictional works. Along with that, there are several purposes for dialogue. If dialogue does not fit one of these categories, really it doesn't belong. So what I want you to do as you're instructing kids on, on looking at dialogue is what, which one of these purposes uh, does it fulfill? The first one is, does it advance the plot? Are you getting things uh, from these conversations that are moving things along plot-wise? Secondly, does the, does the dialogue reveal characterization? or relationships between characters. What are you getting out of this about who these people are, how they interact? Does the dialogue provide exposition? Hopefully not in a heavy-handed way where they're literally explaining everything in a really monotonous, long way. But you do need to have those scenes occasionally where it's, here's what's going to need to happen. Here's what's happened so far. The dialogue should also establish the tone. It could create conflict between between two characters, maybe escalate to a physical fight. But ultimately what it needs to do is it needs to entertain. If it doesn't do that, if it doesn't advance the plot or any of these other things, it doesn't belong. What you're going to want to do is keep these things in mind when you're listening for dialogue and teach kids to keep these things in mind so they can tell the difference between what we would consider to be good dialogue and bad dialogue. And one interesting thing with this all of the purposes for dialogue that you just mentioned are things that we would cover naturally at the beginning of a school year for any kind of narrative writing and for a lot of uh, reading level literature as well. Absolutely. So all of this should be pretty natural for students who are kind of coming into this because this is stuff that we cover as teachers anyway. Exactly. So I'm going to introduce the kind of sliding scale of acting. Uh, as teachers, we are trying to come up with frameworks to talk about these movie aspects. And a framework is not the be-all, end-all of a conversation, but it's supposed to be a beginning point, something to get people started and get conversations going about this particular aspect. So for talking about acting, we're going to have a sliding scale from 0 to 10, with 5 being right in the middle as kind of perfect. 
So at zero, we have static. At five, we have dramatic. And at 10, we have melodramatic. Now, the idea with this is that in movies, the actor is trying to communicate with the audience. And really, the acting is all about that communication. Now, that comes through that comes through dialogue naturally. But what we're really looking at with this is the nonverbal communication that the actor is going through. And in these kind of dramatic movie moments, you want to see the emotional aspect of the film through the actor's acting. And if they're not really showing that emotion, then they're going to uh, kind of tend towards that static acting. If they're kind of overacting, that's going to be tending towards the melodramatic. And if they're kind of hitting that sweet spot, that's when they're at the dramatic. And movies are supposed to be dramatic. So as you're watching an actor, uh, we're trying to teach our students to be thinking about this numerical scale of 0 to 10. So for whatever's going on, right, you have a, a, a super sad scene. Does the actor give the emotion of sadness? Can you read the emotions from the actor's acting? Can you read the actor's inner monologue? Can you guess what they're actually thinking? Because that's one of the big differences between reading literature and watching a movie. Reading literature, you often have character thoughts that can in, help inform your interpretation of the text. You don't have that in movies. And so the actor has to show that and convey that. Uh, and they're a little bit, I don't want to say hamstrung, but you don't have that kind of crutch like you do as an author in writing where you can simply just write the character's thoughts and have that appear in the text. So I think for really great acting, the um, the emotion and the inner monologue kind of comes through the screen to you. So one way that we can read the, the actor is by looking at their body language or their facial expressions. And that's the next sub aspect that we want to talk about, talk about a little bit. Really what we're looking at is how do these things add to the characterization or the narrative and Again, everything in the film is intentional, and you really want kids to do essentially a close read of the film. Uh, the thing I always come back to is the scene where Obi-Wan Kenobi is explaining to Luke in A New Hope about what happened to Vader, and you see his posture change. You see him almost take a breath, and you can tell that there's something heavy coming. Now, what's, of course, what's interesting is that we read into that now when we go, oh, well, he's constructing this lie and how he's going to tell Luke. But originally, that was not the case. It's such a good piece of acting that you can read so many different things into it. But in any case, you can tell that there's some serious gravity to this conversation that's happening. And then the last sub aspect that we want to talk about as part of performance uh, is costumes, hair, and makeup. And again, we're looking at how this adds to characterization or how does it add to the narrative? Because the performance is this, it's a composite of so many things. Again, cost, there's a costume designer on a film that was very intentionally doing things. The hair and the makeup, very intentional. What are they trying to convey about this character? You should be able to tell who this character is just in a still shot, essentially. And I think one of my favorite moments from Star Wars with costuming is in Return of the Jedi when Luke is on the Death Star 
and he's wearing all black and star Wars has very strong connotations, light side, dark side, right. With color. Yep. And there's a moment when he's in the throne room and part of his costume kind of comes undone and you see on the inside it's white. Right. And it's, yep. it's this kind of subtle, uh, you know, light side, dark side dichotomy that you see even in the costuming. Absolutely. I remember that being one of the, one of the things that was a big aha moment for me when I first started to be interested in film was someone had mentioned, and I couldn't believe that I didn't recognize it before, but that Luke's clothing in the original trilogy went from white to gray to black. And being able to tie at like his almost descent or temptation into the dark side, going from innocent to the precipice of, of evil. And those intentional choices with costuming, again, with color, um, just amazing. And things we definitely want kids to be able to pick out. Yeah. And maybe just like a little bit of conversation. We're not necessarily looking at whether it's good acting or bad acting. Um, and it's not necessarily saying whether uh, such and such actor is good or bad actress or actor, right? Um, because I think that can be an easy trap to fall into early on is saying, oh, this actor didn't really hit that sweet spot. It must not be a very good actor. No, that's not what we're trying to say. Because, uh, you know, as we've talked about before, movies are these huge team projects. You have the director and other actors and all this stuff is really needs to come together to make the final product and make a a really great one. Uh, So when we're talking about this acting, we're just kind of focusing on uh, small aspects of it and really trying to draw this meaning from the acting. And can we add more to the characterization, more to the meaning of the film? That's kind of what we're going for. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, just to kind of build on what you're saying, that what I want my students to do is to figure out what is uh, what the, the attempt is. What is the filmmaker trying to tell me? Whether or mm-hmm. not they succeed is an entirely different conversation. So yes. you could say, well, you know, he was melodramatic there. He probably was overacting, in my opinion. But what were they trying to get to? That's what yeah. th- we want them to do. There's so the subjectivity there, that, and that's great. But we want them to just be thinking in, in those terms. What am I? What am I supposed to get from that? And I think a great example of that is Jar Jar Binks. I think a lot of Jar Jar's acting was meant to be melodramatic for comedic purposes, right? And so some people may see that as a negative, which is fine. Some of this is opinion, right? Uh, But it may not be the actor's decision. The director may be saying, no, I want you to be more dramatic, right? Amp it up a little bit. And if that's what the character and, you know, demands, and that's what the director demands, uh, the actor has to, has to do that. They have to hit what the director's wanting. Right. Absolutely. So for your assignment, uh, I want you to pick out uh, a particular scene from your favorite star Wars. You could of course do this with an entire movie, maybe follow one actor or actress through an entire movie. If you're feeling really brave, follow them through the trilogy. Uh, and then I just want you to take notes on the, their dialogue, on their body language, facial expressions, costumes, hair, makeup, the acting in general. And what I want you to do is come up with a rating from zero to 10. And this is a little easier scene by scene. 
but you can definitely do it scene by scene and then add all these ratings up and all these notes up for a whole film or for a trilogy to kind of describe their acting and come to a conclusion of what number are they? You know, maybe there are three, which is a little bit more static. Maybe there are five consistently throughout a scene or a movie, and they're really hitting those emotional beats just right in that sweet spot. Or maybe they're overacting a little bit. Maybe there are seven and eight or nine, and they're kind of overacting in your opinion. And then below, uh, Craig and I have a video that you can watch, and it's a couple selected scenes. And you're going to give the actor a rating, 0 to 10, static, dramatic, or melodramatic. And you're going to try and describe what emotion or inner dialogue that that actor's giving off. What are you receiving, right? The actor's job is to communicate. So what are they communicating and how well are they communicating that? A small note would be the first one is from Marvel Avengers. And that is for a very specific reason. It's because Tony Stark, as Iron Man, is a masked actor. And that really affects how that actor communicates. And then that's contrasted with the Mandalorian, who's also a masked actor. And so the idea with this is for you to kind of compare and contrast how these actors are giving off and communicating their emotions. Before we go, we're going to take a look at an example to demonstrate the sub-aspects we talked about in this episode, and we're going to do a quick audio commentary. If you want to skip it, you can fast forward just a couple of minutes, but the rest of us are going to take a look at a scene from The Phantom Menace. This is timestamp 1 hour, 31 minutes, and 10 seconds. It's just about 2 minutes, and I'll go ahead and count us down. Three, two one and play so you've got jar jar binks talking over the shoulder of padme and what do you notice about jar jar well, i think it's pretty difficult with an all digital character to pick up on acting it's a little better nowadays with their motion capture right yeah. uh, but i think jar jar is one of the best early examples of an all digital character and uh, the actor does a good job just conveying tone of voice through that. Yeah. Look at Panaka coming in happy. It's the only time you ever see him happy in the film. <laughs> and you can see how stiff Natalie Portman is on, on purpose. Right. You can see Sheev Palpatine getting excited and then kind of tempering his expectations. Now, something that was pointed out to me early on, so I can't take full credit for it, but it is the fact that Palpatine is already dressed like a chancellor. He's got a very similar wardrobe. And Padme is dressed in almost all black. Very mournful, really. Yeah, exactly. Again, that stilted dialogue, uh, especially if you read... Uh, the E.K. Johnson novels, you hear a lot about how that's part of the persona. That's one of the ways that she's able to uh, kind of be a cipher so that any character, any one of the handmaidens could, could essentially take that place because it's a character that she's playing within this. You can hear her be a little bit more forceful right yeah, there when she's there. last talking to yep. the chancellor or future chancellor. Yep. 
and you see him feigning. He's sad a little bit, but right before this scene ends, which is where we're going to stop, he, he starts to crack a smile right there. <laughs> and that's where we stop our film. So anything that jumped out at you that we didn't quite get a chance to talk about during those two minutes? I think it's a really interesting choice George Lucas went with for The Phantom Menace because I think it turned a lot of people off on the movie. As I've said, acting is really about communication, right? And one of the ways that an audience connects with a character is through an emotional connection, kind of empathy or sympathy, right? And with Padme having this like affectation where it's very monotone, very calm and collected. I I think that turns a lot of people off of it, even though there is, you know, an in-story reason for this. Right. And I think this is one of those examples where if, you know, for kind of giving it a rating, it's, it's very, very static. Right. Yep. But that's, that's what the director wanted. That's what the, the script and the story called for. And so in no way would I say that is um, poor acting. Right. Natalie Portman is a is a great actress, but this is what it's called for. And you can see very subtle variations, as I pointed out, like at the very end, where you kind of hear a little bit more of a steely resolve in her voice through that monotone. Right. right? When she resolves that she's going to go back to her people. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and I was gonna say you see her kind of rushing out the door there at the end. It's kind of the the one kind of dramatic that middle sweet spot thing where that she does in those costumes. It's everything else is very stilted, minimal movement, um, very little affect in where she talks and you could see like, it's that important that she almost breaks that character because she's got to, she's got to be forceful in what she's doing. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's exactly, you know, we've talked about like, is it good or acting or bad act? And that's not really not the point. It's where do you recognize it on the scale? Because if there's a narrative reason for it, melodrama might be exactly what's appropriate yeah as well as static of course so and i think that's a conversation you can definitely have is it good acting is it bad acting but that's not really our purpose our goal with this right here absolutely now with the costumes padme was in either a very very dark blue or black right and that's kind of symbolizing this is right after she makes her case to the galactic senate right Absolutely. And they're basically not going to do anything. So that is reflective of her status right now where she, you know, she's a queen, her people are in peril. Nothing's going to happen for Palpatine. I think it was you who mentioned this and I, and this might be wrong. Those, those blue garbs is, is he in that chancellor costume yet? Or is that, am I misremembering that? Yeah, not yet. He's only been nominated. So it's, okay. it's kind of a presumption on his point, on his part that he's like, yeah, this is going to happen for me. I mean, he even says, I will be chancellor. You know, he has the, mm-hmm. he's supremely confident. And of course, as you go through the, you know, the, the saga, you recognize that like this was part of his plan and the pieces are just falling into place. This is not anything that's surprising to him. He's been waiting for this. He, it's almost like he jumped the gun a little bit with his wardrobe yeah. choices. No, is the Senate guard, are, are they dressed in blue, their costumes? They're in blue as well at this point. Yeah. So I wonder what the 
you know, if it's a very similar color blue where he's, as you said, kind of jumping the gun a little bit and kind of yeah. presenting himself as that chancellor in waiting mm-hmm. as it were. Yep. It's very interesting choices. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out our teaching resources at coruscantcc.podbean.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us or just say hello, you can find us on Twitter at CoruscantCCPod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash CoruscantCCPod, or email us at c3podfeedback at gmail.com. Coruscant Community College. Because the Imperial Academy isn't for everyone. This podcast is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited. It is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. All names, sounds, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and their respective trademark and copyright holders. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Coruscant Community College unless otherwise indicated. Nothing more will I teach you today. You've taken your first step into a larger world. We will watch your career with great interest. What you have done. Coruscant Community College. Because the Imperial Academy isn't for everyone.